0: Today is January 15th, 2021. Trump is impeached for a second time. Jobless claims reached one million last week, and Biden unveils his stimulus plan. Welcome back, Split the Difference friends and Split the Difference family to another wonderful episode here on the end, at the end of this week on a Friday, coming to you early, coming to you with all the best news and insights from the left, all the best news and insights from the right. We're looking at the good and the bad and the ugly and we are doing our best to find that sweet, sweet truth that lies right there in the middle. Y'all, I'm serious when I say I think this is the best podcast that we've done thus far, and y'all are going to love it. So without further ado, let's hop on into our first story of the day, story number one. So for our first story, the biggest story, I'm sure that many of you have heard about this. Trump was impeached for a second time. He hit the big number two. So (laughs) The big number two. So uh, he's the only president in America's history to be impeached two times. I don't think anybody is super surprised that Donald Trump is the only person to hold that title. Um, But all of this this time was for the incitement of an insurrection that happened at the Capitol building last week. All of the Democrats in the House voted to uh, impeach him and 10 Republicans voted to impeach him as well. So this will now send it on over to the Senate for a vote. So let's go ahead and hop in real quick. Let's listen into CBS as they report on this earlier this week. In less than a week before President Trump leaves office, he has earned the distinction of being the only president who has been impeached twice. The impeachment story is splashed across newspapers, front pages nationwide. It's a headline everywhere. After the House accused the president of incitement of insurrection, 10 Republicans broke ranks, joining all the Democrats to to vote yes. No House Republicans voted to impeach the president last time. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has signaled she will send the article of impeachment to the Senate for trial quickly, although it has not arrived as of this morning. Nancy Cordes covered yesterday's historic debate on Capitol Hill. Nancy, good morning to you. What happens now? Well, Tony, the Senate's Republican leader, Mitch McConnell, says he will not bring the Senate back early for a trial. It's expected to return midweek next week, which means that that phase will only get underway in earnest once President Trump has left office and Democrats have taken control of the Senate. It would take a two-thirds majority in the Senate to convict President Trump and prevent him from ever running again. All right. So there you have it. Donald Trump was impeached for the incitement of an insurrection again this week. So um, McConnell is saying, you heard right there at the end of the clip, that McConnell is saying that he's not planning to bring the Senate back for a vote this week. His plan is to come back either next Tuesday or Wednesday, bring everybody together, and basically debin, uh, begin the debates on whether or not they're going to end up convicting Donald Trump of incitement of an insurrection and also decide whether or not they're going to bar him from holding any government or public office again. So McConnell, so far, has actually said that he is not opposed to impeaching the president. So this is for reasons that we talked about a little bit earlier this week, but he thinks that impeaching Trump will actually help the Republicans to purge Trump, his words, from the party, much, much sooner. Uh, McConnell, like many other Republicans, are trying to figure out basically how to get rid of Trump, and they think this is the best way to do it. Um, And McConnell is playing this in an incredibly calculated way, okay? We're going to go ahead and talk through basically all that's happening, because we've already talked through what the left and the right think of the impeachment. You have the Trump, supporters and the loyalists that will never think that Trump should be impeached for absolutely anything. You have the other Republicans that are looking at it basically being like, okay, yeah, we definitely should impeach him because he's destroying our party. And then you have all the Democrats that, of course, want to impeach Donald Trump for literally any reason at all. So you may ask, why would McConnell want to push back the vote until next week if he's actually considering to impeach Donald Trump? right? Like, wouldn't he want to just go ahead, stand firm, plant his flag in the ground, and go ahead and just get Trump impeached while he's in office, removing him from office in an incredibly embarrassing way like a day or two before he actually is set to be leaving office and letting Biden come in? So, couple of reasons here. First, he recognizes that it will still be an uphill partisan battle to convince the Republicans in the Senate to convict Trump and impeach him, okay? McConnell will will need the extra time over this next week to probably call every single Republican that he can and be like, look, here are the reasons why we should, okay? And then he has to convince those Republicans to go in and actually vote. There will be a lot of Republicans that are terrified for voting to impeach Donald Trump because they they will be worried that it will help or hurt, I should say, their re-election chances in the midterms or in 2024. So. Contrary to what many people would like to think, Trump still has a very very strong foothold in the Republican Party. Going against Trump up until the last 2 months or so has pretty much been a death sentence for a Republican's political career. However, the tides are changing, but, you know, some of the Republicans are probably still very very worried. I mean, you have to think and consider. There were only 10 Republicans that voted to impeach Trump in the House, okay? That's out of about 200, a little over 200 Republicans. Okay, in the House, and only 10 of them voted to impeach Trump. That is not very much. In order to actually in, you know, get the impeachment passed and have Trump um, not removed from office because he will already be gone, but barred from holding any public office again, it will take two-thirds of the Senate, which means that in order to be able to actually get that done, it will take 17 Republicans to vote to impeach. That is a very, very, very uphill battle Battle that McConnell and other Republicans that want Trump to be impeached have to, have to go through. So there are already, I think, three or four senators that have come out and said that they do want to vote to impeach Donald Trump. Um, so, you know, maybe McConnell will need just 10 or 12 more in order to be able to get that done if he really wants to get it done. Uh, but it's definitely an uphill battle. So the second thing, McConnell would much prefer to be able to shrug off the blame of impeaching Donald Trump to the Democrats. So next Tuesday, Republicans will no longer hold the majority in the Senate. The Democrats will hold the pin on what goes on, although by a very, very slim margin, right? It'll be a 50-50 tie in the Senate. VP Kamala Harris will be the tie-breaking vote, meaning that the the Democrats hold the majority. If Republicans do decide to break rank and impeach Trump next week, as opposed to this week, it will technically be a Democratic-led House and Senate that did it. So Mitch McConnell will be able to be like, you know, in a year from now or two years from now, when all the midterms are happening, and then in 2024, four years from now, he'll be able to look up and be like— you know, in that deep, buttery Southern draw of McConnell, he'll be like, you know, I'm sorry, but uh, it was a Democratic run Senate, right? I mean, he'll basically just shrug all of the blame off. So the last piece is that McConnell, I don't think, wants to give Trump the opportunity and the ability to play the victim in all of this. If they rush the vote through this week and don't give it proper time in order to be able to debate it out and actually have conversation around the impeachment, it will be very easy for Trump to make it look like they rushed it through because everybody was against him, which will only bolster him in the face of his incredibly devout followers, okay? So if McConnell instead waits until next week and you have a Democratic-led Senate they debate it over the course of a week or so, week and a half, everything's going back and forth, video is coming out of Republicans actually giving decent arguments as to why Donald Trump should be impeached, then there will definitely be people that were previously Trump followers that look at it and be like, I don't know. I mean, they're talking through it pretty heavily and it definitely looks like the majority of the Republicans here are wanting to actually impeach Trump. So it hurts Trump a lot more if it's done methodically and it's done slowly, as opposed to rushing it through the Senate as fast as he possibly could. So it is clear at this point that Trump is losing ground and he is losing ground very quickly. A lot of Republicans have already come out and supported impeachment. They have a pretty solid basis to do so. What Donald Trump did last week was absolutely unprecedented in in America's history. At no point have we had any president stand up at a rally Tell everyone to actually start marching down the street towards the Capitol building. Tell them that he is going to march with them. Use incredibly emphatic and violence inducing language over the course of a couple of months and then sit back and not condemn any of the violence that happened for a couple of days after the insurrection of the Capitol building actually occurred. Um He's obviously still pouring gasoline on the fire as much as he can, even though he has been banned from pretty much every social media site except for Parler. Um, The Republican Party, though, is divided like it hasn't been in a very long time. And as much as they try, to backtrack all of the stuff that they have basically just gotten in bed with Trump over the past four years. They are already on record with supporting Trump wholeheartedly over the past four years. And I don't think that Americans are going to buy them just suddenly backtracking all of it. Okay. I think that Donald Trump, and I've said this countless times over the past couple of months, Donald Trump has done more damage to the Republican party than than I think any of the Republicans knew would be able to happen by just supporting him because he had the popular vote or not the full popular vote, but he had the masses behind him. So there's no doubt, though, that I think that this will disrupt the plans by Biden that he has coming into office next week. Uh, He has laid out a pretty extensive idea of what he wants to accomplish in his first hundred days and getting in and uh, having all of his cabinet appointees. I mean, you have to think, when the, the first couple of weeks that a president is in is actually in office and his administration is transferring in and transitioning into the uh, to the White House and stuff. I mean, you are you're going you're picking all of your cabinet members. You are picking all of the uh, basically picking a bunch of people to head up all the different federal agencies. And Biden's not going to really have the opportunity to do that a whole lot if they're debating the impeachment of the previous president in his first couple of weeks of office. So, um, I think why you are seeing Biden sit on the sidelines through all of this is because I don't think that he really wants to fan the flames or pour gasoline on the fire right now. I think he wants to just sit down and be like, you know what, you guys handle it as best you can. I'm going to do my best to try and focus on what I want to get done in the first 100 days, which I think is honestly a pretty smart move politically. But um, for the most part, I think that what's happening right now is that Donald Trump has been playing checkers, okay, and McConnell has been playing chess. The dude is just way ahead of the game. He is letting all of this is coming down to the wire, and he has been making some incredibly calculated moves over the past two months in order to... With still and withhold the power within the Republican Party for himself, but also keep it away from the Trump Republicans as much as he can. Incredibly smart guy, as much as I don't agree with a lot of his politics. So with all of that having been said, that is the end of our first story of the day. Let's hop on in to our second story, story number two. So for our second story of the day, jobless claims hit around 1 million last week. That's right, 7 million digits. We had almost 1 million people uh, apply for federal aid and claim that they had lost their job just last week. So jobless claims are a basic measure used by economists to see how many people in the workforce are being laid off. Many view it as an indicator as to, of course, how the economy looks right now, but really how the economy is going to look in the coming months. Uh, close to 1 million jobless claims is actually back at the high uh, that it was at in August of 2020. So you saw the, the highest waves, the biggest, the biggest spike in unemployment and jobless claims around April to May, especially maybe late March or April of last year. And then you saw it kind of go down just a little bit and it's kind of been slowly but surely kind of trickling down and then it just kind of leveled off. Well, now it's kind of bumping back up. So as we are seeing all of the effects of the coronavirus basically just running rampant throughout the entire country at this point you were seeing the effects of that actually starting to hit jobs in the same way that it was hitting it earlier last year. Um, and, you know, starting, I think, to also see the impact that it's having on the more broader economy as well. So um, although these numbers are not nearly as bad as they were in April of last year, workers are still filing four times more jobless claims than they were through the first two months of 2020. So, before the pandemic hit, the economy was pretty much firing on all cylinders. Everything looked roses. And right at this point right now, a year later, we are fi- people are filing four times more jobless claims. So, And right now, it is actually higher than any other recession in American history. There are more people filing jobless claims on a weekly basis, average weekly basis right now than in 2008, than in the early 2000s, than in any other recession in American history. That's pretty startling. So... Um, even if you think back to 2008, I mean, that was an incredibly large recession that hit the United States economy in an incredible way, right? I mean, there were plenty of people that lost their life savings. There were tons of people that lost their homes. It was a terrible recession, but right now there are more people jobless than there were then. Not good. So many are, many are, you know, basically saying that the, Reason for all of this is the dramatic rise in new COVID cases. Um, you know, many bars and restaurants are closing up again or are under new renewed restrictions, uh, for many local and state governments. I mean, California has tightened a lot of things down as well. Um, I, I think LA is now how now has the highest number of new COVID cases and also coronavirus patients in their hospital systems. So, um, You're seeing uh, much of the job loss, though, in the same sectors and the groups of people that were hit the hardest last year. Okay, so it's not like it's a new wave of jobless claims that are happening to a different sector. It's pretty much all the retail sector, the restaurant sector, the service industry, the hospitality industry. Um, And it's, you know, those industries are getting absolutely destroyed. So, Household spending declined in November for the first time in seven months. Um, New and existing home sales also declined in November, and the numbers have not rebounded. So many are basically saying that the same squeeze that was happening last year is happening now, except now it's happening much, much worse. So we're kind of like, we have assistance from the government. that's kind of been floating along a little bit, and Biden will get into his stimulus plan later on, but uh, Biden, of course, is planning on rolling out more stimulus to the American people. But we're, we haven't seen, in terms of the broader American economy, we have not seen a huge collapse and uh, it, that would basically lead to a gigantic market-wide recession. Okay? We saw a really, really big dip in the stock market early last year, and then equity markets bounded right back up. But for the most part, housing prices have not fallen down. They haven't dropped because the, you know there has been almost no supply and there still was demand. Um, and for the most part, the vast majority of Americans actually have not been severely affected monetarily by the coronavirus pandemic. It's actually more of the poorest Americans that have been hit the hardest, and the rich Americans are you know making more money than ever, and the large corporations are making more money than ever. Um, However, I will say the difference between now and last April is that now, of course, hundreds of thousands of people have died. And of course, hundreds of thousands more people are being diagnosed positive every single day. In case no one has checked in a little while, there have been around 200,000 new coronavirus coronavirus cases a day for like the past two weeks. That is not good. That is a lot of cases. And that's not something that's just going to be fixed by the snap of a finger and people going out and getting a couple of vaccines. So the question then has to be, when will all of this end? And of course, I have no idea what the answer is to that. Nobody knows what it is. But at the rate that things are going right now, regardless of how much stimulus there is, the economy is going to be going into a recession if people aren't able to work and make a living. If the coronavirus continues to absolutely rage all the way through the end of 2021, the government can only hand out but so much stimulus, right? Eventually, the money's going to run out. I don't even know where they're getting the money right now, which we will also talk about in story number three. But, um... eventually people are going to be running out of money. Eventually people are going to have to be kicked out of their homes. Eventually landlords are going to have to foreclose on the houses that they have right now because they still have to pay their mortgages, even though there's an eviction moratorium. Um, So for the most part, we're seeing the vast majority of Americans haven't been feeling the squeeze. They've kind of been avoiding it, but it looks like that is starting to change if you're looking at more of like a broader macroeconomic picture. So um, there's if you think about, I guess, like people that are not working in the industries that have been hit hard, their expenses really haven't changed. If anything, a lot of Americans' expenses have actually kind of gone down. They can't go out to restaurants and bars. They can't go out and meet their friends and have a drink anymore. They can't go to the movie theater. They can't go to the bowling alley. I don't know why they'd want to go to the bowling alley, but I guess some people like to do that. Um, And, but at, at the same time, corporations, are absolutely crushing it, right? It's the small businesses that have been hurt so bad, but corporations like Walmart and Target and Amazon and Apple, all these really big companies have been absolutely killing it. And you can see that in reflection of the stock market. The stock market has continued to just go through the roof because all these companies are coming out reporting earnings and they're doing really, really well. But, Eventually, all those things are going to have to start giving out. If people are not able to pay their rent, if people are, are actually starting to lose their jobs, if the economy starts to tighten up and squeeze, especially starting with the housing market, which I think you're really starting to see right now, if the real estate market starts to squeeze really hard, People aren't selling their homes. People aren't buying their homes. That affects banks. That affects realtors, real estate agents. That affects a whole plethora of other issues. And it, of course, can cause a lot of problems in the broader macroeconomic picture. So um, when the housing market starts to decline or if you get a new president in that starts to raise a whole bunch of taxes um, or stops actually giving a whole bunch of handouts and stimulus plans the buck will eventually have to stop there. Um, and that will be when America starts to feel the se- severity and the seriousness of the COVID 19 recession that will be k- hitting at least within the next couple of months, or at least that's what it looks like, right? Of course, Joe Biden stepping in, providing more stimulus, trying to float the unemployed people along as much as possible will be very beneficial. They may even try to roll out stuff that actually helps landlords. I've been blown away that they haven't done that so far. But, you know, I guess you got to help renters and then help landlords. But uh, we'll have to see how all this plays out over the coming months because it could be affected by a large amount of different things. So with all of that having been said, that is the end of our second story of the day. Let's hop on in to our third story, the last story, story number three. So for our story number three, Biden's stimulus plan. So Biden came out on Thursday night and gave remarks regarding uh, the stimulus package that he's planning on rolling out. And let me tell you, it is a big one. I know that we have said over and over and over again that we knew as soon as the Democrats get into office, right, as soon as they've got that control, they're going to be rolling out spending as fast as they possibly can. Well, it's already going to be happening. So Joe Biden uh, came out and said that he would be looking at something that was around a $2 trillion price tag. I believe $1.9 trillion was the number that he used last night in his little speech. Um, it will include a ton of things that have already happened, such as unemployment insurance, aid to local and state governments, uh, money for distributing the vaccine, and also that $2,000 for the stimulus check that everybody wants. I believe that it will be a $1,400 stimulus check, basically lumping in the $600 that was given with last month's one almost $1 trillion stimulus package that was put together. Um, but if Biden gets in, or when Biden gets in, I should say, uh, it's... It's looking like he's going to go ahead and pass those and everybody's going to be getting about $1,400 in the mail here soon. So the real question, I guess that is somewhat still unanswered, is how all of this is going to be different than what was handed out in the past and how will it be paid for. So for that first question, how is it different than all of the relief that was handed out in the past? It is not necessarily different from what I have read so far. Granted, I have not read the entire thing because it came out late on Thursday night. But from what I can tell, it is basically the same packages that came out the first time around and then the second time around with some added in sprinkling of the things that Democrats want. Okay. So there's, you know, like I said earlier, they're having stimulus checks again. There is a bunch of aid for local and state governments. There's a bunch of aid for vaccines. All that stuff has pretty much been standard across the board for the other, uh, for the other stuff. So, or the other packages. However, there are some small things that the left has pushed for a long time. For example, this one will offer paid parental leave, a fifteen dollar minimum wage. per week, uh, for unemployment checks. So basically you go in through your unemployment, they're going to be adding another $400 a week on top of that $100 billion for schools, which wasn't super defined. Right. So I don't know if it's like, here's a hundred billion dollars just for you guys to do whatever you want with, or I don't know. And so many schools across the country have been closed down for the vast majority of 2020. Um, So really, it almost looks like uh, there are a lot of things that the Democrats have wanted and want to push for a long time through a tax plan that they're trying to get into this COVID stimulus package, right? Which I think we all knew was going to happen. And we all have to remember that once Biden is in office, the Democrats control the Senate, they control the House of Representatives. There's nothing Mitch McConnell can do to stand up and stop this unless he wants to filibuster the the bill, which would not look good in the first week of a new president, uh, a new administration being in. You're going to filibuster a large coronavirus stimulus bill? McConnell would be the most hated man <laughs> in Washington. So the second question uh, about basically... Who is going to pay for all this? Uh, well, the answer to that is is you. You're going to be the one that pays for it. So government spending is not complicated at all, right? As As complicated and convoluted as all the Democrats love to make government income and government spending seem, it's not. It's really actually very, very simple. So the money, the government takes in money through a variety of ways. However, the main way that it takes in money is through taxes, right? So in order for all of this debt to be paid for, it will have to come out of the pockets of Americans now they're not going to be able to pay for the entirety of a 2 trillion dollar coronavirus stimulus package by just you know bumping up your taxes and all of a sudden boom getting everything in tomorrow right this is going to be financed through the next you know couple decades right so the idea is we're we're going to be sending out this 2 trillion dollars right now but we're going to be raising it through issuing debt and through taking in taxes right so the idea is they're going to try and pave out the payment of this plan for a very, very long time, right? And then over the next 10 years or so, Biden is going to raise taxes. And then once those taxes go up, that will help to offset the costs of this. And they'll be able to thus pay for this gigantic stimulus package. So one of the things that is worrying, the most worrying to me about this and Biden's infrastructure spending and his healthcare spending and all the stuff that he wants to spend all this money on is when that debt gets paid. So it obviously is not going to be paid off immediately. So the goal will be, of course, like I was saying, to increase those taxes over a couple of years. So let's just do a quick thought example. So say, for example, you make all of your money by receiving money from renters, okay? You own a whole bunch of own a whole bunch of little rental houses and you receive money based on that rental income. And let's pretend that you don't actually make money if you sell those houses or anything, right? You just make money on the income that is coming in that is being paid to you. So you decide that you want to get a new car, okay? But you don't have the money for that new car. So you decide to increase the rent on all of your renters to pay for it. You finance that car and you get it on a seven year loan. Okay, so that would mean that you would need you're just basically you're increasing everybody's rent by just a little bit so that you can pile all that money in and you're only going to increase it for seven years. Right. Because that's the that's the term. That's the loan on the car. Well, later on, all of your renters fall on hard times or uh, maybe a couple, a lot of the renters are like, you know what, I'm not going to be paying, you know, all of this high rent right now um, that just so you can have a new car, like absolutely not. I'm not going to pay you this rent. So they're threatening to leave if you don't actually lower the rents. Well, now you're faced with a huge dilemma, right? Because you're looking around and you have to have the higher rent in order to be able to pay for your car. But at the same time, you don't like what? What else? Everybody's threatening to leave. What are you going to do? You're not going to be able to get that money in, so you have to lower the rent and then not pay off the car, right? Or you have to just keep the rent raise where it is and hope that as many people as possible will stay. I know that that is an incredibly oversimplified example, right? Extremely oversimplified, but it is a decent idea of how the government works. Okay. The debt is going to be paid off slowly over a course of time, and the government only really brings in what they charge us in taxes, okay? So if they're going to pay off all this trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars in debt that we are now in, they're going to have to increase taxes. So what happens when we have a republican president that gets into office here in the next couple of years or we have somebody else that gets in we have a, a great a gigantic recession right something happens where tax revenue lowers right so this is what happened when you saw Trump got into office. So Trump, Trump's presidency, the tax bill that he uh, that he put in place th- made the economy absolutely boom, right? But in order for all of those Reaganomics and all that Milton Friedman esque legis- legislation, you know, right, an economic policy to work, it has to. Those taxes have to be lowered for a long period of time so that the economy can be bolstered up. More businesses are creative, are created. More jobs are created, and more revenue would be actually brought in through the federal government, even though the taxes are lowered, right? But what happened was, a Barack Obama era had extremely high taxes, okay, and regulations. Trump came in and lowered those taxes, right, which caused our national debt to actually go up because the federal government was still spending a lot of money, but it was taking in much less. The idea behind that is that if businesses are paying less money to the government, then they can use that money to reinvest in their businesses, create more jobs, et cetera, down the road. Well, right now, we have not begun to reap the benefits at all of taxes being lowered and new jobs and large businesses being able to make more money. Right when the, it would start to happen, we hit a coronavirus, and then Biden is going to increase taxes. So the national debt is going to balloon over the next four years. I mean, just uh, unbelievably large. Okay, um, and I, I don't. Eventually, the buck's going to have to stop. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Eventually, things are going to have to stop being paid for by the federal government. I don't know where it's going to come from. It's going to have to come, I guess, obviously from us in taxes, but. I don't know. Eventually, the tax money runs out. The economy collapses. I don't know. So anyways, I know that sounds morbid here at the end of the show, but just kind of the truth. So with all that having been said, that is the end of our show right now. Let's hop on in to the last segment, my favorite segment, something that made me smile. So, something that made me smile this week. I'm actually going to throw out another book that I've been reading because it's been a ton of fun reading it and it's been very, very interesting. So, I've been reading City of God by St. Augustine, and it has been absolutely fascinating. I don't know nearly enough about the history of the Roman Empire in order to fully grasp, I think, a lot of the stuff that he's saying. However, it is extremely interesting, and it's also very, very... um, I don't know, maybe disconcerting to see the incredible similarities between the Roman Empire and kind of where the United States is right now as well. Um, So it's been really, really cool. It's been a bunch of fun to read it. I'm definitely learning a lot. If y'all have not read it, I would strongly recommend that you read it because I think that you would probably enjoy it. It's a little bit difficult at times, but a lot of times it's also pretty fun and a pretty easy read. So, all that that's the end of our show today let's go ahead and end we can we can go ahead and end there Um, remember as always guys look me up on instagram facebook i'm on youtube i got my own website split find me there give me a like a subscribe a follow and a five star review all of those things go such a long way Um, remember as always guys we're going to do our best to stay level-headed we're going to do our best to always be reasonable and of course we're going to split the difference This is Austin Taylor.